0: This is Fam Electric Ghost. we live on there for the first time with Kevin Palmieri. Pal- <laughs> Sorry. Um, no welcome to the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I am living the dream, Phantom. I appreciate you having me. Congrats on, I think I saw over 1,000 episodes. So congrats on that. That's huge. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you.
0: Yeah, we're actually at episode 1,010. Been on tracking down on an Apple podcast since 2016. And uh, we have your, your URL up there, nextleveluniverse.com. And then there's a forward slash the other things that will be fully clickable. So people can just click on that and click through when we're fully published. And I do wanna thank you for being on the show today. We are a featured podcast on the Newsly uh, ME uh, network, and that's an audio podcast platform. So uh, we give the folks out there the coupon code that goes, they can check that out. We're gonna be on Newsly okay. later today. But right uh, thank you again for being on on the show, because uh, we, we love talking to people from around the world and you know, we, we've been doing it for a while, but it's um it's always cool to talk to another podcaster. <laughs> so maybe you can tell you're you're the co-host uh, and CFO of the Next Level University, which is a top 100 self-improvement podcast, just to give people a, a better background. And if you want to, like, give you a little like elevator pitch for your story, we can kind of yeah, yeah. start off with that and then just continue in a live fashion.
1: Yeah. uh, So I was a a young man who had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So after high school, I decided not to go to college. I worked a bunch of odd jobs. I worked at a gas station. I worked as a personal trainer, truck driver, forklift operator, in construction, very short time on the on-call firefighting, uh, the firefighter department. And Then I ended up getting a job that brought me a lot of financial freedom. It brought me quote unquote success, but I still ended up sitting on the edge of a bed contemplating suicide when I was the most successful, and that's in quotations for those who are just listening, Mm -hmm. ended up starting a podcast in 2017, fell in love with it, left my job in 2018, and I've been podcasting full-time since 2018, but for the first three years, I was doing it full-time with no results at all. Less than part-time results with full-time effort, but now we are blessed to have a, a successful business that we've built through the podcast.
0: That's really cool, I mean, because I kind of fell into podcasting back in 2016. I'm a musician, and I'm a software designer, mm. and so some guy named Rock Tunes found me on my SoundCloud and said, hey, you got a lot of songs, let me talk to you. And I said, well, what's a podcast. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> and then he said, well, it's like a radio interview. And I was back in when we were using an app called Spearman. And it was just an audio and we liked each other so much that we started doing a podcast about music for six months. And then eventually he decided you didn't want to do it. And I said, well, I'm going to pay it forward. I'm going to actually go onto Instagram and talk to other musicians I would communicate with and actually do like behind the music, like interviews. And that's mm-hmm. how i started and i just did it because i like to talk to people and i felt like it's like a master class to keep on talking to people so after a thousand episodes it's like a thousand hours of talking to people that was the benefit for me and then it yeah. actually helps my brand and it helps my music you know help people find me so that that was the whole purpose and then other things have come along yeah. but you know in the whole world of podcasting has changed since 2016 and now there's like you know there's this universe of podcasters out there that wasn't you know where my head was at back in twenty sixteen, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting trip.
1: Yeah, a lot has changed. A lot has changed. A lot has evolved, and now it's it, see you you were ahead of the curve, right? We we didn't start till two thousand seventeen, but so much has changed since then. Where now podcasting is kind of the sexy thing, and usually when something becomes the sexy thing, the barrier to entry goes down and the failure rate goes up. So just because podcasting seems sexy does not mean it is the next wave for you to find your level of success. There's going to be a lot of effort that has to go into it just like anything else. So I always throw that out there. I love podcasting. We just recorded our 1,512th episode. So we're up in the the thousands as well. And we love it. I, I absolutely love it. We do an episode every day, just like you, but I will not sugarcoat the fact that it has been brutal to get to where we are today and, and turn it into a business. So I always want to be honest and transparent about that
0: yeah i mean because yeah i mean my goal was never to actually do it full-time i'm a software designer that's my full-time gig mm. and then my music is like their next priority i'm in my studio with all my yeah. mugs and roland's and what i found was it was just a way to initially talk to other musicians and what i did is i talked to emerging and independent artists that I didn't think were being paid attention to most of them were actually female artists that I didn't think were getting enough attention and then it branched out <clears throat> and, and I, my focus had been like expansive. So I talked to punkers, EDM, DJs, country rockers, classical musicians. I didn't really care what genre. And I said, well, why not do the same thing with the podcast? Well, so I talked poets, painters, mm. photographers, and then I started talking to people who are entrepreneurs and then life coaches and mentors. And then it became this very expansive, wide ranging thing where it's like creativity and then linking music as a common thread has been my, my magic, you know, sauce Mm. or mixture. Mm. And it it seems to have worked. But you know, I'm not super big. I've always been kind of an underground guy. And I, you know, it's not that I don't want to stay in the underground, But that's just been my, my, my my motif.
1: What have you ever gone back and listened to like your beginning the beginning episodes? Yeah. <laughs> how does that How does that make you feel? Because I know it makes me feel bad about myself.
0: <laughs> well, we initially, we were on Spareman. It was just an iPhone app. We didn't yeah, use yeah. mics. We just used the standard capability of the iPhone. And it, the quality was not, you know, it was whatever version of the phone, iPhone there was in 2016. That's what it mm-hmm. was. Yeah. And um, it, what I started to do is since I'm a musician and I'm a producer, I said, why don't I take my mixers and my studio level mics that I used to record songs with and start using that gear and then yep. use some of my video cameras that I used to make music videos. It's like, why can't I do that? And I started to go video back in 2020. I didn't go video until 2020.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and then I found, uh, you know, StreamYard and and then, you know, Anchor turned into Spotify for podcasters. I'm on tons of other platforms, too. I use whatever platform I can. Yep. <laughs> but um yeah, I just started to realize I could leverage my musician tools. Like actually yeah. using a real mixer that I used to record with and then using Yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing is once video podcasting came it, it it allowed us to level up to be able to use the higher end technologies and stuff mm. that I was using for music production, which was kind of a no brainer for me.
1: Yeah. Mine was, it was the opposite for me. So I remember I used to, when I was in <clears> I <don't throat> know, high school, I was, I loved rapping and it all came from a place of back on AOL instant messenger. For those of you who remember that shout out to the shout out to the good old days. But one of my buddies and I were having a conversation and then we just started to rhyme words. So it would be like cat and then he had to rhyme a word. It was fat and then it was bat, and it was at. And I noticed that when we started to getting into like multiple syllables, he couldn't do it and it was pretty easy for me. And I remember Mm. thinking this has to be something. So I don't, this was probably like 2005, 2004. I ordered a microphone off of eBay or something. I don't know where I got it from. And I remember I started recording not good music, but I was recording raps. And then in 2017, when I got equipment, and then 2018, 2019, I started to record songs because I had, to your point, I had multiple mixers, I had multiple cameras, I knew how to do editing, I knew how to do mixing and matching. So it was kind of the, the opposite for me as it was for you.
0: Yeah, that's interesting what like, I found is the idea that a lot of people want to make things perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: like I found uh, like podcasters that would only record, they couldn't, they would never go live. And I was kind, I'm kind of the musician that I like uh, what I call the flow state and like fusion jazz. And the idea I've always talked about, like there's a famous uh, quote from Herbie Hancock. He was playing with Miles Davis and he actually made a mistake. He did the wrong chord for the mm-hmm. song they were doing and he thought Miles was going to kill him. Then Miles actually changed the song in that moment and told him that like fusion jazz, that's the point. The mm. point is, like we take a trip, we take a we, the song's evolving. And so you and he said what I learned is I can be in the present. I can I don't be so anxious about trying to make things perfect. And as a musician and producer, I, I'm a child of the 70s. I'm really into the happy accident, mm. listening to something like Exile on Main Street with Keith Richards and in, in the in the voice. It's like there's something about allowing something to be, mm. like an earlier take, even though when John talked about it on the Yellow Big Road taking something on a third or fourth take instead of the 99th take it's, it's a risk but it's more authentic yeah and I've always been the type of person that likes like authentic kind of real you know not not exactly perfect more of a punk aesthetic mm. you know or yeah. jazz aesthetic so that's that's been my motif where I, I've run into people they like oh I can't I want to pull all the ahs and ums out I want. I want to go back and re-record it, and I'm like, well, that's not. That's not how I do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're the same way. We're the same way. I early on we decided that we were not going to edit our podcast unless there's a technical issue, or unless sometimes we'll misspeak and we'll use someone's full name when we don't want to. We want to keep the <laughs> anonymity for them, so we'll cut that out. But ums, likes, I need to listen back because we listen back to our episodes. I need the feedback to get better. Because to your point, I'm a speaker. When I'm on stage, there are no safety nets. There yeah. are no safety nets. And to your point, there's a lot of creative freedom where if I mess something up, I can kind of go that way. I was, I was at a wedding recently, and I was sitting at the table with a couple of the bridesmaids that were going to be giving a speech. And one of them was super nervous. And I said, I'm going to give you, I'm give you a, a cheat code. Nobody knows what you're going to say, so you can't technically mess up. Nobody has any <laughs> clue what you're going to say. So even if you mess up, nobody's going to know you messed up. And she said, wow, that's a really good thought. I appreciate it. I said, well, I've messed up enough to realize that oftentimes we're more afraid of us knowing we messed up than somebody else. So I can definitely resonate with that.
0: Yeah, you know, Also, this consistency and showing up, you know, my my grandpa was a coal miner. He always said "This showing up is, is the deal. Like if you yeah. consistently, you can say, well, I hate my job. But like if you show up in life, then you can progress and things will get better. Right. And so... Mm-hmm. Like I knew a lot of guys when I was 17 and they stopped playing because they had some like goal and they didn't hit it. Yeah. But my goal was like, I just love playing the keys. So whether or not somebody likes it or not, I like playing the keys. Mm. So that wasn't going to stop until I decided I don't like playing the keys. Yeah,
2: yeah. But
0: it's like, why are you doing what you're doing? And so there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of the stories about podcasters, like, you know, not making it after 12 episodes because they don't hit the, this goal. Mm and I always said like I said before is I fit to it like it's a master class like I'm learning from these people I talk to mm. and I get these opportunities and so whether or not I hit the algorithm or not I've had opportunities where I got to talk to a Grammy award-winning producer and I don't have super big numbers but they like they saw an episode and they approached me and I got to talk to them mm. talk to talk to two Grammy ordering producers and they liked what I was doing and yeah. It sometimes like the numbers don't show you the impact yeah so like if you show up and you're present and you just love what you're doing then you get opportunities that sometimes the metrics don't measure
1: you you create a winnable game that's really that's really what it is imagine two people one person who works out to get a result the other person who works out because they love it I'm willing to bet the person who works out because they love it is going to stick with it Longer, or the person, I have no real aspirations when it comes to rapping. I don't ever expect, I'm never going to perform <laughs> live. I don't expect to to make it anywhere. I just love finding it, a beat. Yeah. yeah, I just love the creativity around how do I make these words fit on this beat and tell a story. How does that all work? I anticipate I will probably do it for a long period of time. I'll definitely get further than I would have if I said I have to have a hit song or whatever it may be, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I think you have created a winnable game, even though you can't win it, but you're kind of winning through the process of the journey. And that's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. Cause you get opportunities. Like as a musician, I've gotten to work with people all over the world, mm. you know, where I've been able to collaborate with like an artist in Tokyo, some people in South Africa. And it, just because I showed up, yeah. they say that, you know, people approach me. And and then they just say, hey, I want to do something because I, I dig what you're doing. Mm. And that's not even the podcast. It's like my music itself, yeah, yeah. which is like, you know, very experimental. But it's like if, we, if you get it, it's kind of idea like, um you know, everybody listened to the Velvet Underground started their own band. Right. They weren't commercially successful, but Lou Reed actually influenced like a whole generation of songwriters
2: mm.
0: because he just put that out there. And it was something that really didn't fit during the hippie era he had this weird kind of proto-punk idea of spoken word noise and weirdness <laughs> that generations of artists you know totally respect him and people can't imagine that lou Reed wasn't famous but he wasn't mm. and so the idea that the you know art if you're one of my favorite victorian poets william blake was not known during the victorian age
2: mm. he
0: was known after the victorian age because they found his work he actually put his his poems into plates of artwork that made them permanent, and so they found them those songs of experience and uh, innocence. And so sometimes, like if you just you know, some artists have this thing where they don't think they're good enough. They're like, they they have this imposter syndrome, so they won't ever present their work. Mm. And I'm I'm always in like trying to you know encourage people to present your work, and you never know <laughs> out there in this world there's an audience that might dig what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Or they might just dig you. Yeah. If, if somebody digs you, they're going to dig what you're doing. Most likely. Wasn't that similar yeah. for, and this was before I'm 34. So this was before my time, but I've heard many stories about the grateful dead. Weren't they not commercially quote unquote successful, but they also had yeah, the highest were. like tours yeah. ever.
0: Yeah, they were not cause they were doing 20 minute songs. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. ten-minute song. That their whole thing was these jam sessions that didn't have structure. And then mm. you know they have a couple albums where they actually focused and they made songs. But their beginnings is they just were like the ultimate jam band.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And the in the hippie culture in that area in San Francisco, they just dug the fact that these guys would go on five, six hours. Mm. They just go on and on. And know, being a musician, I'm I'm a big fan of like tons of people like that, Funkadelic and Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. They had those kind of ideas you know, all my brothers, they, they, they would go, I would go see them and they just jam, they're just jamming. And I was like, well, that's no structure. Like, so people today somehow have kind of gotten into this idea that everything has to be an algorithm tripping structure. That's two minutes yeah. long. And it, it has to have these codes, key things. It has to have the same pads, the same links, same soft sense, the same pads, every, And it's like boring. Mm. I'm very much a big fan of people in the bleeding edge or pushing it I listen to the top bottom thousand bottom 500 Mm. underground radio underground mixtapes to find people to talk to because I want to hear something that somebody isn't doing hasn't already done a thousand times. right I want to hear something that's more interesting to me
1: you're an interesting cat Phantom you're an interesting (laughs) cat I'm I'm grateful I did my so I always do a little bit of research before I jump on a show with someone just to make sure I know who they are and all that and it's just it's very it's very opposite of what everybody else is kind of looking for. Everybody else is looking for the next big thing. You're looking for the the old new thing, or the old yeah. yeah, kind of kind of that. Which I respect that. I respect that. Yeah,
0: well, because you know I've always been a big fan of like the the kind of you know I don't know if you ever heard of a band called Big Star. Big Star was this guy Alex yeah. Chilton. He was in the Box Tops. He did this famous song called "The Letter." Big Star is kind of like the modern 1970s version of the Velvets. Tons of bands from Wilco to Radiohead, uh, name check Alex Chilton. he's the fam- mm. he's the songwriter behind that band, and they're like an unknown bo- power pop band that sounded kind of like the Beatles, but they weren't the Beatles. Mm. They weren't bad finger. They just had this sound that was very strange. They were southerners, but they just had this they made themselves sound like they were coming from like uh, England. They sounded like they were the Yardbirds birds of the Beatles, but they didn't really bite off the Beatles. They, they had this other sound and a lot of like uh, alternative artists loved them. Like the the Replacements, Who's Could Do, R.E.M., Counting Crows, they name checked them all the time. Mm-hmm. If they ever talked to the lead singers of his band, say, well, oh, "Alex Chilton's like a genius. And I'm like, so I was like, well, who's Alex Chilton when I was a kid? And it's like, <laughs> I need to figure out who this guy is. And Rolling Stone and all these magazines gave him five star reviews for their three big albums that he came out. Hardly anybody knows who they are. Mm-hmm. But then you find all these producers knew who they were. And, you know, people like from the Counting Crows to REM, Michael Stipe, those guys knew who they were. So that's why I was always very interested. like, sometimes it's not the most popular person on the street. Right. It actually influences
1: art. Would you, would you rather be commercially successful or internally respected?
0: Well, i like being respected by other musicians like i said i've, I've had some grammy awarding winning producers like dig what i'm doing mm. and i've had producers i've talked to over 300 400 musicians around the world and they kind of get what i'm doing and that to me has been really uh, kind of kept me going whether you know in terms of like yeah i do have something that's working with people who are kind of like insiders mm. you know, that understand you know that type of thing and it, it just like it makes you feel like well like it's not just my family that likes me i've got some grammy Or producers <laughs> that like i've got some artists like from japan to australia to south africa that like what i'm doing so i know that that what i'm doing is in the zone of maybe the creative producer singer songwriter aesthetic which to me is like it's, it's cool yeah no songwriter is going to say like i wouldn't want to be big
2: yeah, like,
0: yeah it would be cool to be big but it's cool to actually be acknowledged that you're actually doing something that's interesting hmm. and uh you know if, if i ever get some songs that ever, ever really kick off that that's always cool it's always cool to be loved by the fans but it's also it it, may, it it feels good when other artists like get what you're doing
1: what's your do you have a favorite song that you've done
0: my, one of my favorite songs i've ever written um was on the ep i did um uh, disconnected Youth. Uh, I, I did this EP and it got picked up by a small Swedish label when it got put out. And uh, I got a good review where they compared me to some stuff that Trent Reznor was doing. Mm. And, and it wasn't what I was trying to do, Trent Reznor stuff. I just happened to be there. Because sometimes I'm like in, in a Velvet Underground mode or I'm, I'm in a Funkadelic mode. I kind of do multiple genres. And it was just interesting. And then when I did that record, the, the record label that picked me up for that, released they like they thought i was like a just just a nine inch nails guy and then mm-hmm. they saw all this other work I had and they weren't interested in my other work they were only interested in the work that sounds like Trent Reznor. And i was like well right. that's just where i am sometimes
2: <laughs> and it's so
0: it always like it, it, it was interesting with them like they just wanted me to stay there which is interesting in music like people want you to be in a lane and then they figure that you should stay in that lane. it's like, uh, my thing is I I don't like to stay in the lane. <laughs>
1: yeah, I can so, tell. Like, maybe I, I I've gathered stayed in that. that lane.
0: <laughs> and I would have probably done better if I would have, but I, I would've kind of like, Oh, well, am I self No, it's just like, I just don't like to stay in the same zone. Like if I'm not interested in doing that, my next song is not going to be that. Mm. So they don't like that. Sometimes in the industry, they want you to stay
2: kind of yeah. predictable.
1: What, what is your, and, at any time, if you if you want me to stop asking questions, just tell me to shut up. But I'm as a podcaster, I'm super curious, right? What is your creative process like? How does it does it go from a thought in the shower to a jam session? Is it a life experience? Like how does it go from in your brain to on a recording?
0: Well, like I'm in my studio, I'm surrounded by a lot of analog. I'm a I'm a keyboardist, as I've indicated, but I'm a sound designer. So what that means is I have synthesizers that actually take waveforms like sound waves and start my tones. I actually build my tones from scratch okay. using analog and digital synthesizers that actually create sounds. So I don't use pre-packaged sounds. I create my right. own sounds first. So mm-hmm. every time I start a project, I like I'm like a painter coloring, taking the different colors and making new colors. I'm mm-hmm. creating those tones or timbres from scratch to create the kind of sound painting. This is the idea of a sound painting that uh, the Beatles talked about uh, and Hendrix talked about. When people asked them like what they were doing, they said, well, we're using sound like a canvas. Mm. We're making sound paintings. So everything I start with is usually in that kind of vein. And I might have a poem or some kind of idea in my head. That's a theme, but I will let the music start. I'll usually start with the sound waves and then I'll start with the percussion Next, and then I'll start tracking. <clears throat> and I'll just have my multi-tracks. I don't use DOS. <clears throat> I use actually multi-track recorders, like mm. 1980s, 70s type of recorders. Okay. that just multi-track, pick up tracks. And I start putting stuff down. And, and it basically, what I end up learning my song because mm. I actually hand play it. I play all the parts. And I build the song up. So by the time I'm done with my song, I know my song right, right, rather right. than being on the grid. I actually could go play it, because I learned it. Mm. And so it's a, it's a kind of an old school technique. And a lot of people say "Well, it takes too much time, but doesn't mean that's, that that's the process. And I like that process because it yeah. makes me feel like, like I really learned what I, you know, I actually built this idea. And I actually, I've become a control freak. So I played all the parts, I played the bass, a guitar, everything. Mm. and So I ended up learning the whole thing. And it's, it's like my it's my world. I create like a like an author. that create a uh, I don't know. They create a like their their world building building like a science fiction author, the fantasy author. They create these worlds. And I've talked to authors about how they do the character design. That's how I approach my music like like that.
1: Mm. How long does it take from thought to creation? Like you said, it takes longer. How how long does it take you to write one song? Write, record, all of it.
0: Well, it's interesting. It's like some songs can take like like weeks, mm. but some songs are so, it's kind of interesting. Like if I did, I just sometimes, some songs just come to you like a dream. It's like in your subconscious and it just comes out. And I can hardly explain it. It's like the muse comes to you
2: mm. and
0: you just have this flow state and it just happens. And so I have these recorders that can pick up all my instruments all at once and then track them. so all my instruments go to a track so then later i can mix them so i've had songs where like second take first take i liked it and i actually kept it and i actually put it out that way Mm. and sometimes that song happened in like you know a half hour 45 minutes and it was like you know it's hard to explain to people how could that happen but (laughs) you know it does um and so lately it, it happens when you start to trust yourself and if you've been playing since you're 17 Age fifty six, it happens more and more. <laughs> As you, if, if you play a lot and you practice a lot, you know. I, mean, I used to read about you know some of like the the great people, I, I you know, the artists like Hendrix and Prince and Neil Young. They had these techniques. And like Frank Zappa, that he would that he would go with his band and just put something down.
2: Mm.
0: And a lot of times, this is the first, second, third take. That was cool, and uh, it's kind of like when you trust yourself and you don't, don't overthink. If you don't yeah. overthink it and you don't get so anxious about it and you kind of like you feel like you're a vessel a lot of musicians i've talked to even the famous ones i've talked to they they feel like sometimes things just come to you
2: Mm.
0: and it's like it sometimes it's kind of fully fleshed out and you accept it and it's like well it's some of it's your subconscious and some of it's some more something else and it yeah some people don't do it like that they're very intricate they got to write it out Hmm. Other people, you know, sometimes it comes like a full picture and you just take it.
1: Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's finding flow. Even as a on on our podcast, some we used to prep. I used to have a whiteboard. I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I had my stories. And then now we're at the stage where we kind of just freestyle it. And I trust the fact that I'm going to be able to pull something valuable from this brain at some point. But it to your point, it does come with experience. So that makes a lot of sense from from that frame at least, I think I can connect it to that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like with podcasting. Initially, you know, I have my notes and I have a screen off to the side and I have the questions that people like to be asked and I have their background or bio. And when I do my interviews, I just have that there. But a lot of times what I've learned is like it's listening skills. Mm. So I will listen to what the guest is saying and I might have a list of the top 10 questions, but if they say something that's yeah. not on that list, I'm not totally, you know, I don't have to just be totally tied to that list. Yeah. If they say something interesting, then we might dive into this rabbit hole that we call live podcast and I go <laughs> and I just, you know, riff it. Yeah. And and that's a lot of what, you know, it's not that different than fusion jazz or bebop, or punk aesthetic, you know, experimental music, when you're with people, that was always interesting when I'm with other musicians, if I have to tell somebody the chord chart, and I got to tell them the key, then I'm not really that vibing that well, Mm. right? Like when I'm with guys, that I don't have to tell them the chord I'm in. If I don't have to give them the key, and they just pick it up, then I usually have a better experience with the people, just like, you know, they, because a lot of times they know it, like, it's like, why are you asking me when you, you're a musician, you know what key I'm in.
2: Mm.
0: So it's, like, it's almost like they don't trust themselves. It's like, well, you know what key it is. You hear it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, just, just go with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you see it. I've seen that a lot with podcasters too, even to your point, I'll go on shows. I've been on probably 700, 800 other shows at this point. And one of the most common things is people just hammer you with the same 10 questions. And I just want to, I want to kindly say to them, take a risk. Like you don't have to ask me the stuff that's on there. That's more for you than it is for me. Use it as an outline, but take a risk, ask me something wild. Let's just see what happens. Use it as an opportunity to get outside the box. So I definitely, I resonate with that for sure.
0: Well, it's like the vulnerability. People are so scared of making a mistake. Like I always, my my common thing I tell people when I work with an artist is I don't want to hear that you can match the top 20. And you think mm. you, maybe you think you want to do that, or you want to show me that you can do a ghost type song. I already do ghost songs, right? So why I tell people is show me the song that you're scared to show anybody else. Mm. Show me the song that you don't think it was going to make it like, that you're scared of, because I think that is your authentic you. Yeah. So to just go and show me that you can copy anything that's out there doesn't really show me anything. I want to know who you are. Mm and so like when you do that then you, you that's their kind of authentic you know vulnerable self yeah because people are so scared of judgment they're, they're like well my ideas are weird so nobody really wants to hear them so i better stick stay, stay in the box mm. and now I'm, I'm kind of like i don't need to be in the box i don't want to be you know show me something a little out of the
1: box <laughs> mm. well do you feel you feel very confident in who you are as a human
0: I think i've gotten confident and there's a story about that is like i am a cancer survivor when i was Mm. 27. i survived a a level three sarcoma and pre-cancer you know ghost or phantom is like you know i was scared of everything i would have never even done i was i wasn't into public speaking i was only a musician that would play i wouldn't sing my own stuff Mm. post-cancer i said what am i scared of i survived it and then i I, I, I lived in Japan, I, I did things, I, mean, I, I do a lot of things I wouldn't have done, the pre-cancer version of myself. So I think what happened is, I realized, like, why would I be scared? I mean, you get scared of things, but still, the things that I was most fearful of, I I actually hit dead on. I started going to poetry slams, reading poetry, started going to places and just playing live and not caring what anybody thought, and and just doing it. And, uh, and I think that is, it's hard for people to get to that point. But a lot of times when I've talked to people on the show that are entrepreneurs or artists, they've all kind of hit that crucible moment yeah. where they decided they were going to get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, where I, they end up, I end up talking to them because they got out of their own way.
1: Necessity. Somebody asked me yesterday, I was on a podcast and they said, do you think it takes rock bottom for people to change? And I said, I don't know if it has to be rock bottom, but I think there's gotta be some level of discomfort for you to say, whatever I'm doing right now isn't sustainable. I don't know. If it's not bad enough to change, then we probably won't. There's not enough necessity there. If you put your hand in lukewarm water, you're probably not gonna pull it out. But if the water <laughs> gets really cold or really hot, you're gonna, you're gonna facilitate some sort of change. And it's, it's, that's something we learned pretty quickly We haven't interviewed as many people as you because you do a lot more interviews. We do solo now. But in the beginning, it was, this person has a wild story. Wow, that's unique. And then it got to the point where, yes, this is a unique story, but the through line is always adversity creates something. And then it got to the point where, yeah, yeah. And then it got to the point where it was, your adversity can become your advantage if you know how to harness it. And now it makes sense because everybody has their own unique version of that story. And then what they do with that is usually the triumph or more tribulations, depending.
0: Well, you know, creators, we mine our our, our, our trauma. Like mm. songwriters were, are famous for mining their trauma. That's what we do. Because if you, you ever notice, most of the songs that work are the ones that are melancholy or sad. Yeah. You know, once in a while, I mean, they get the disco or you get funky, you know, stuff that's funky is like, okay, it's, it's happy. But if a lot of times when you read lyrics, even if something seems bombastic and very, very rhythmic, the lyrics are kind of duality. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the lyrics have an edge that's really, you know, melancholy, but the beat is infectious. So Mm -hmm. a lot of artists, we like to play with the duality. A lot of times there's going to be that kind of serious pain driven, work. And we'll use hooks to kind of hook you in to make it seem like, you know, people don't really get what it is because they hear the beat. But, but a lot of times it is driven from, you know, psychic trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like almost every, every creative I've ever dealt with is like their best work comes from a, a bad place that they work through and they used it as a cathartic device. And, uh, you know that's that's just like how how like why why people do art therapy well why why do, yeah. well, that's what artists do it all the time
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah what what was your music like when you were going through your the cancer like when you were really in the the thick of it
0: In the cancer i was still uh doing just what i called sounds paintings and they weren't didn't have they didn't have lyrics there were these big like movements that were like 10 15 minute long things mm-hmm. that could be used for like soundtracks and they would they'd be very emotional because, you know, classical music or, or instrumental music can have a lot of emotion. And you can put a lot of that pain into the movement of, of the struck, you know, in that type of music, there's a lot of passages, or like I said, there're movements, there's rhythmic changes, there's crescendos, there's all kinds of stuff that has emotional impact. And so it was very much that and you, the impact was in the way that the music was flowing or ebbing and going up and down like a wave. Uh, Is this when I, after I got out of the cancer, I said, well, you know what, if I'm ever going to progress, I got to actually start doing vocals and actually start doing lyrics. And that, that was a big moment when I said, well, how am I going to do that? And I approached it, but initially I didn't like my male voice. So I pitched my voice like, like Prince to like a Camille. I created a character called Josephine Electric. And I used a technology to create this character Mm. who was a ghost. The whole idea of family, like the ghost is a band full of ghosts. Mm-hmm. and Josephine was the lead singer so the first fan like the ghost albums have Josephine being the lead singer So only in the last like three years I actually introduced other ghosts that have male voices or or other female voices and it's a whole idea of this collective of a uh, Ghosts that decide to go out on the road and people don't realize they're Ghosts. kind of like the gorillas it's a it's a, it's a mm-hmm. made-up idea it's a made-up concept mm-hmm. and and it worked you know, it, it was interesting. It was different. And so we got, got other producers saying, like, what are you doing here? That's interesting. It's very progressive, kind of art rock type of thing. And um, I was able to take a lot of ideas because mixing the male and female voices, I could come at things like if I'm playing Josephine, Josephine can do a different song than a, than a male singer's mm-hmm. song. You can have different topics. So I can I can address all kinds of things that normally you couldn't address and uh it just opened up a whole world for me to be kind of real and 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 go at that a lot of creativity a lot of people will say it's kind of feminine you know creativity in itself is this feminine kind of aspect mm-hmm. oh so, and then when you talk to artists they, they kind of talk about that being a, 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 your, your creativity is kind of feminine in, in its motivation
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so if you can if you when you see guys like bowie and freddie mercury and prince you know he's like well yeah there is something to that With was like the, the falsetto that's used in music
2: mm.
0: by even you know guys like axel rose and stuff or like giddy lee is like why do they do that because it's kind of that part of that mindset it's, it's an artistic idea but
1: i'm learning so much also and i just lost the rest of my afternoon because i'm going to be i'm going to be creeping around the interwebs to listen to you so very 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 interesting i feel like i'm learning so much i feel like i'm picking your brain and <laughs> trying to digest what I can, what I understand.
0: Well, I think it's like it's interesting to me that the entrepreneurship, um, you know, is like a lot of people was like, "Well, how can a musician talk to like entrepreneurs and and people who are business people?" Was like, "Well, all musicians are entrepreneurs. We're we're, yeah. we're selling a widget, which is our song. Mm. We're selling a service, which is our, you know, our music, which is going to help you get through something." Yeah. Uh, and so, so it's still a product. We're still pitching. We still have to find a way to uh, market it. And so, yeah. you know, that's when when I I, and then I was able to kind of spin that, you know, with the podcast is like, how can I be more expansive? Because I started finding that my musical guest, I, I wasn't able just to survive with that. So I needed to branch out to other, other mm-hmm. people. And initially it was just uh, authors and painters. And then started talking to like life coaches and mentors. And I said, you know, that also made sense because what if right. And I just talked about the trauma that musicians and creatives go through, well, who better to talk to than a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you talk to a therapist, you, you get all get into like, you know, self-limiting beliefs.
2: Yeah.
0: You get into the idea of, uh, uh, you know, um, you, you just the inner child and, and that's where art is happening. Because you're addressing that imposter syndrome, you're addressing those things, you're addressing the glass ceilings you put on yourselves, uh, and and it just became a way to uh, kind of level up and expand to the modern era. You know, the the whole idea of this podcast and and, and still be relevant and not do what I was doing in 2016.
1: Mm. Well, it's it's all the same, right? At the end of the day, you. You start with something that only you can see nobody else can see it whether it's a song an album a business a product whatever it is and then you put in the time behind the scenes and you hope eventually enough people see it where then you can do it for more people and then that just becomes the cycle and that's a creator a musician an entrepreneur anybody it's the same thing for us right we want more people to see the podcast so we can impact more people. You want more people to, to find the music so you can impact more people. It's kind of the, the human experience in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting because a lot of people told me when I was first doing it, like you need to just do the singer songwriter thing. And I did that first two years at a podcast and then I started immediately, you know, going talking to authors. Mm. Because I thought author, you know, songwriters and authors were in the same space. We're, st- we're, all, we're both writers. Like we're doing more short form and they're doing long form. And I saw there's a lot of you know parallels into what our, our process. A lot of writers go into flow state. they they and they'll do world building. And they'll you know, because sometimes you map something down, you flow chart it out, and sometimes you know, you create a very intricate world, and other times you kind of just, I'm just gonna go into a, a journal and just start writing or jump on my typewriter and start writing and and it's the same process for both of us uh and so it was it was easy to start blurring the lines um and i think a lot of times people are are scared and fear is 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 the constant thread no matter who i talk to like it always fear comes up in almost every single podcast as the motivator or the limitation or it's both
1: (laughs) it's One of the things that I learned pretty I don't want to say pretty early. I was exposed to I didn't learn It took me a long time to learn. Most of our fears are just made up And we make them up and it's I could never I could never put a song out there Because if I put a song out there, and it's not good. Everybody's gonna hate it when in reality (laughs) Then that determines the fact that you just decided you're never gonna put a song out there I always say fear is offense. Fear is a fence that we walk up to. We look on the other side and we say, ah, imagine what life would be like over there. The people who end up having the most fulfilling, growth-oriented, impactful lives usually take a step on the other side of the fence. And then they're able to help people say, look, it's not, it ain't what you think it is. Just because you release one song, it doesn't mean everybody on the internet's going to find it and hate you. Most people aren't, nobody's going to even see it. So facing yeah. the fear behind <laughs> the scenes... Is really, really valuable and we've realized that with talking to as many people as we have. Fear is lack of lack of self belief and or depending on the person lack of self worth. Those are two of yeah. the biggest reasons why people don't chase what they really, really want out of life.
0: Yeah, we run into people all the time that are like, um, you know, I found people where sometimes I try to take a musician and make them jump on a different instrument, like a bass player, and make them jump on the guitar, and the guitar player jump on the bass, uh, or or you know, or a guitar player jump on the board. And, I, and a lot of times, what I'm looking for is like I don't need you to be the best piano player, but sometimes it's like it's like like what happened with Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van is like a, was a great guitar lead player. But when he approached the keyboard he approached it different than a typical keyboardist hmm. so he was he would approach it in a way like the way Pete townsend approaches the keyboard as a guitar player and sometimes that's very interesting because you get things like like out of the who you get the song like barbara o'reilly hmm. with the keyboard sequence it's not something that keith emerson would have done not something steve winwood would have done it's not something that rick wakeman would have done because pete was approaching it with like a guitar player mindset So sometimes it's like, you don't have to be the best. It's actually the fact that you, you have a a different approach and a different mindset. That's okay. Mm
2: -hmm. But
0: a lot of people never give themselves the permission to think that's okay.
2: Yeah.
0: And the people that they take the risk, they get big rewards. And then people try to clone them. (laughs) They say, (laughs) well, I'm going to copy that. It's like, because it's, it's the thing is like, there's no. The, the thing is like, a, there's a big statement in the music was like, there's no wrong note. It's how you handle that note. If you on stage hit a wrong note and then you make everybody feel like you hit the wrong note, yeah, right? Because by your, the way your body language is, then everybody knows you hit the wrong note, <laughs> right? But if you take that note and then you don't act like you hit it, right? You just flow with it to the next thing. Then nobody even knows you hit it. Yeah. It's like, like nobody knows, like you said, when that person's like, they don't know what you're gonna say, so you're not yeah. gonna really make a mistake. It's the same approach. If you take that approach in life, it's like, there are no bad notes, there's opportunities. That note is an opportunity to take it to a different place that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And being able to be open-minded enough to accept that kind of you know, on the fly adjustment that you can don't have to start that diet because you missed step four. Now you got to go back to step zero. Yeah. No, you you live with the fact that you did it and keep on going.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and that's why I think that's why belief is so important because you have to believe that it's going to be okay. That's I think that's and again I've never performed musically on stage in front of every anyone so I can imagine what that's like. But I've spoken in front of fairly large audiences, and that my standards for myself are usually higher than the standards of the audience for me. I want to hit yeah. every "quote unquote" note. I I remember I got off stage one time and I was frustrated with myself because I forgot I forgot a word. Uh-huh. And if if I had that word, it would that that would have flowed so nicely. Nobody knew what the word was, but I beat myself up. Maybe I mean, there's a fine line of construction for that. I want to make sure I have a very high standard for myself, but not to the point where. To your point, you're not going to step on stage because you're afraid you're going to play the wrong note. Living somewhere, juggling those two beliefs, yeah. yeah, I think that's a good place to live.
0: Well, there's a lesson learned. Like, like you can. It's not like you don't make errors. What I Ooh. call them, like happy accidents. So you can like you can learn from your happy accidents. Not every happy accident is going to go to tape.
2: Right?
0: Is it going to get to the final um, production? But the idea that, that you're gonna get rid of all the happy accidents, what it does is it creates kind of antiseptic, kind of AI-driven kind of stuff that's like perfect, but it sounds, doesn't sound right. It sounds yeah. like it doesn't have any life to it. And then you're like, you could give me the same thing. I've talked to writers with some AI-driven work and they're like, well, it's lost some human aspects that it does. Yeah, technically it's perfect, but it's, sometimes authors will do grammatical errors or things that aren't technically correct because it's part of their style
2: right
0: stephen king if you run his thing through grammarly he's got things that are technically grammarly would kick out
2: Mm. but
0: it's part of his style and if you took it all out it wouldn't be stephen king right that's where people make the mistake it's like trying to be perfect isn't the goal it's like you can learn and maybe you you have a flub but either it's kind of that balance between having lessons learned and and, and progressing and then knowing how much of that variability you leave in the mix
1: yeah and that goes back to authenticity yeah yeah Yeah. what do you what do you want your work to look like really
0: yeah it's very important
1: there's no such thing as perfect that's the other thing you're never you can't be perfect there's no such thing as human beings you can run it through whatever you want but when you're on stage and you're it's just you you can only you can play to the maximum of your potential.
0: Well, that's the problem today is we have tools as musicians that I can make my song yeah sound exactly like what I did because I can just run it to the backing track. Yeah. So I could either run it to the backing track or take the risk of actually playing it live.
2: Right.
0: And if I play it live, there's going to be microtonal things that I don't match my original recording, but that's okay because like as a child in the '70s. I went to see bands because I didn't want to hear them play it the same way as what I heard on the radio. I wanted to hear the live version. With the, a lot of bands back in the seventies, their live versions are significantly different than the, the actual studio version. Mm. But you a lot of bands today that they've run exactly what they got, because they're, run, they're, they're kind of slaves to their master track. And if you're running to that master track, you're locked in. Right. You have some variability, but you're kind of t- totally tied in. Whereas if you're a fully live band, you can decide that like, today I'm gonna play a different version. But if you're locked into that thing, it's like, yeah, because I'm trying to make it sound like the radio hit. And that's one of the problems with some of the AI tools and the DAW tools. They lock you in. Mm. They they restrain you. And I'm the type of guy I don't like being restrained. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. Mm. So like I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, people are like, it's a choice I make, you know, and I, I have tools where I could be locked in, but I kind of like, I, I kind of run it with, I run my master, um, my multi-track. I'll bring my multi-track on stage. And this is kind of a Nine Inch Nails trick, is like they would bring their multi-tracks. Nine Inch Nails actually have their multi-tracks on stage, not their sequencers, but, and they would run them through effect pedals or effect processors. And they'd have a member of the band actively changing their original music and actually running it through things. So they could actually alter it on -hmm. demand. And so even so they can stay what they originally wrote, but then they could deviate and run it through all these things where it would totally deviate it and change it where you did not recognize them.
2: Hmm.
0: And so it gave them the best of all worlds that they want to run it the way that they wrote it, they can, and, but they could also deviate it. Hmm.
1: I'm gonna have to listen to some nine inch nails today as well i believe that's gonna i'm gonna have to put that on the docket for the rest of the day
0: yeah frank's <laughs> cool <laughs> he's very very interesting guy but um mm. but yeah it's just it's just i don't know my my whole experience with art is um i think you should take risks and, and a lot of artists you know what you'll find is you'll I go to a painter's house and they get all these paintings in in their studio and they don't they don't they never send them to the gallery
2: hmm.
0: and then i'm like well how many of these are in shows and it's like it's like one tenth or one hundredth of what they've got
2: yeah
0: and, and it's like why because they just don't feel it should be in the show and i'm like it's like that that like sometimes you're not your best critic a lot of times that's why you as a musician, you you have other people around you that kind of coax you to to push one of those to the top.
2: Yeah,
0: and yeah. and then there's a there's a whole history of artists like not picking the right song. Like if you like this song, tons of bands that would they would have picked a different single than their A and R people. Mm. And and usually the song that they would have picked is is, is not what the A and R guy picked. Yeah. And, and so, so it's like, it's like, sometimes you're not the best judge of your own work. <laughs>
1: yeah. I would say more often than not, you're not, because you're, if you're making the music for yourself, you're not making it for other people. And it, it depends, it yeah. depends on like chefs. I imagine what a chef is cooking for themselves versus what they're cooking for an audience of a thousand people. It's gonna depend drastically on the audience of a thousand people, what they make.
0: Yeah, it's like the interpretation, they like, you know, what people, what they dig and yeah. it's like like you personally dig this but like the thing that you don't think tastes good your 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 customers suddenly say well that's what tastes good and you're like well I hate yeah,
1: it yeah yeah I just want a cheeseburger it doesn't have yeah. to be anything crazy but I know you want to make whatever you want to make a cheeseburger with gold and this and this and this mm-hmm. and the finest stuff I just want a cheeseburger that's it
0: yeah like people will like and that's why it's something are like throwing things at the wall like with mm-hmm. the way this net, net is that like you kind of put it out on the wall and we find that you know artists that put a lot of output out and put it on different platforms and kind of see where it goes yeah. giving you pseudonyms you know there's authors that will use a different name because they're like they're a crime author and then they want to put a horror story out mm. so they put a different name and they put it out they they still get it out they don't just say okay i'm just gonna because they know my audience is like thinking this well just they're thinking i'm this they think i'm tied to this so then they right. put it out in a different way and i think you just should be willing to share your work as much as you can uh you know it's 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 your own limitations to stop you uh usually like you're the one that stops you
1: yeah and And you never know what else does
0: it but you're the best one that's stopping yourself Right?
1: (laughs) right right and you never know which one's gonna hit you never know what song what episode what interview what book what article you never know which one's really gonna hit
0: yeah, I, I, it's just the struggle um, is interesting because a lot of people think people are overnight sensations. Yeah. They don't know how much work goes in to, to like because they, they see these people suddenly get big, and they don't understand how how much work got you know was done before they got to that point.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: and it's, it's never easy. You know, anything that's worthwhile usually is 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 a struggle. It's a process. It's 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 something that you perfect and. um You know, it's like people, like you get a 12-step program and you think about after step 12, I'm done. It's like, no, you have to do that for the rest (laughs) of your life. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I didn't know I have to do that for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I guess, um, what's your biggest fear today? Because it seems like you've gotten over a lot of things.
1: (laughs) uh my biggest fear is rejection for sure rejection and and disappointing people those are my two big ones like my i had a i had a rough day yesterday because we kind of sort of fired one of our clients it just it wasn't working out and when i sent the message they sent me all these messages back and it was just like i am disappointing this person so bad right now and it threw me off the rails the rest of my day was all over the place i was triggered all day It was brutal. So most of my stuff now it's still the same as it was before. It's I've just, I just have a better relationship with it. I get rejected all the time. Just I'm in sales at our company. We are always talking to people about stuff. I get rejected all the time. It's better than it's ever been. It still sucks. But right now it's probably the disappointment thing. Disappointing others is that is my Achilles heel.
0: Yeah, that's the hard thing, you know, because like you, you, you know, because when you put something out,
1: it's
0: like a lot of times um, people don't understand, like, like the thing you like the most, uh, like as an artist, like I, I'll put out a track and I, I'm thinking that this is this is it. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: right. This is the one I really like. And the fans like the one I'm like, now yeah, I'll just put this out. I don't really like it. And then that's the one they like. And then it was like, wow, I was like, why don't they dig the one I'm digging? Yeah. Well, you know, I can't control what they're into. And so it's it's that kind of situation or if I'm working with a with a collaboration uh and you know and it doesn't work out. Like I've worked on some projects with people and we were all excited about putting something together and we thought we were going to vibe spent a bunch of time and it's like we well, didn't vibe.
2: Mm.
0: And so that feels like, "Oh," and it's like, when well, some of that stuff is like we like, we could just work on it a little bit more, but there's sometimes like there's um diminishing returns." Yeah. Like if you if it's not working it's not working you can keep on trying to keep on trying but like sometimes you have to accept well this project didn't work
1: Mm.
0: and then you're like oh, like why didn't that work
1: (laughs) (laughs) well there's lessons there's always I think you learn more you you learn more lessons from the losses than you do the wins because you have to change everything but when you win you try to change nothing you just try to do what you did better but you don't really know what led to the win necessarily so losses are very they're very constructive if you can get to the place where you actually find the value in them. Again, it took me many years to get to that place.
0: Yeah, because a lot of people think it's like the wins are the only thing. It's like all the losses are actually better Yeah, learning experiences. Yeah. Like if you if you have ever had somebody like I never failed, you're kind of like, really? Yeah. It doesn't seem uh like that <laughs> that seems truthful. It's like how right. could you because you, know, you know you look at elon musk you know he doesn't do everything perfect no 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 you know like he was good at paypal he's good at you know ebay uh he's good at tesla you know spacex and then he got to twitter and like oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's not worth it it <laughs> making not something? because sometimes like it's not good and he he was willing to try something that was not his zone yeah. his zone is like manufacturing new ideas that are like more tied down to like you know engineering kind of yeah. concepts whether it's yeah. like mechanical or electric or computer engineering But we drew, went to something with the social media this assumed <laughs> he could do it and it's like well it doesn't always work it's yeah. like so but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try it's right you, you right try. But, yeah lessons but, learned know, it, yeah he's like you you have to be willing to kind of push the envelope Yeah. And, uh, I think that's where people get, get scared. And Mm -hmm. and it could be, I think sometimes you have to be uncomfortable and some people, they don't want to ever be uncomfortable, but these like you, you, you're in a codependent relationship. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. So it is like the comfort of being in something that's not productive. Like you are in something uncomfortable. So why not push it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's mud. There's mud between where you are and where you want to get to. And that mud is usually uncomfortable and it's cold and it's dirty, but it's, and it's probably more uncomfortable and dirtier than what you're currently dealing with. But the grass is also, I know that, that I'll quote, the grass is greener. The grass is only yeah, greener yeah. when you get there because you're creating it through the mud. It's not, it's not green yeah. when you first start. It's green as you go and you get there. But yeah, to your point, it's, it's overcoming the uncertainty. Sometimes we stick and we cling to the security of enough, but not great because we're afraid of the uncertainty and insecurity of what happens between now and when we get to the place we want to get to.
0: Yeah. The security of medioc- mediocrity or like is it a codependence or yeah. something unhealthy. Like you're in a habit, it's a habit So learn a healthy habit. Well, that's it's, hard, yeah. which means I have to do this. Like I said, for the rest of your life, like yeah. you gotta, sometimes <laughs> you have to have, if you're going to be a, you know, physically fit then you have to exercise for the rest of your life it's not like oh I'm going to do it for 12 weeks and stop yeah yeah he's like no you have to be committed to doing that in a sustainable way Mm. for the rest of your life like eating healthy you got to be committed to doing that for the rest of your life or you're going to jump off off the wagon and go back to eating junk food yeah you know and so it, everything's always you know harder than it seems and it, of course if somebody sells you something that seems too easy it's probably <laughs> it probably, is.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it probably yeah it's probably not real habits turn into lifestyle eventually that's that's all it is if you think of if you have a habit of smoking cigarettes and drinking and eating fast food eventually that turns into a lifestyle you're probably not going to go to the gym and take care of yourself and get enough sleep but the opposite I think the opposite is also true as well. Habits become lifestyle when you do them long enough.
0: Yeah. And the lifestyle, just to be open minded and actually like, actually start to love yourself. And that seems like, oh, that's foo foo. But like, if you don't love yourself, then everything else is not going to work. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not arrogance to be have, have the kind of self-love that's not required for you to be out uh, be successful. And I think that's where people make a mistake. It's like, well, that person's arrogant. It's like, well, they're, they're not down on themselves. Like yeah. you, you're not going to progress if you're down on yourself 100%. Mm. So I think yeah. that's like the life lesson for me. Is like, it's like it's nothing wrong with not being down on yourself.
1: <laughs> no, no. Arrogance. I think a lot of people have arrogance mixed up. Arrogance is not having high belief in yourself. It's I at least this is my definition. It's confidence without competence. So if if i was mm. to say to you phantom i can make music i can make music better than you tomorrow that's not that is confidence without competence i have no proof that that is possible it just i don't <laughs> i think that's arrogance but i think on the other yeah. side of arrogance there's self-deprecation where if i said that to you and you you were like yeah you probably could that you're just yeah. self-deprecating so i'm arrogant and you're self-deprecating Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle of if I put in as much time, energy, effort, and focus, maybe eventually I could get to the place you're at. I don't know. Maybe. I think that's a a humble approach. I think that's the yeah. difference.
0: Yeah, you gotta know you kind of know your 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 capabilities. Yeah, you know, if you like and then then kind of push it. You know, like if you totally it's like knowing yourself, like if you become self-aware and you're aware of your flaws right yeah you're aware of what you are not able to do then you can start to like admit it's like well I'm not the best at this but I'm going to yeah. try it doesn't mean I'm going to be better than this person X but I'm going to try mm. and so instead of saying well I can never even do it I'm not even going to try to do it I'm just going to stay over here I think that's like the better lesson It's just like there's nothing wrong with at attempting it but you know being overconfident without evidence is. Yeah, it's probably not the best place. To
1: <laughs> it sets you up. It sets you up for failure. There, That's a growth mindset is, is saying, I might not be able to do it right now, but I can learn lessons and get to the point where I do do it. A fixed mindset is I am the way I am forever and there's nothing I can do about it. And just working towards more of a growth mindset would be beneficial to us all.
0: Well, I think we had a great conversation. We always end up hitting over the hour faster <laughs> than I think. <laughs> but yeah, we actually hit it, and um, I do want to thank you for being on the show. It's it's great to talk to another podcaster. You've been out there. You're super successful, and that's a, that's a awesome. And uh, yeah, I appreciate being on you being on the show. And it's um like I like I said before, we're going to be on all the other platforms that you can watch or listen to a podcast later today. And we'll send you that information and uh, thank you again for being on the show
1: thank you for having me as i said i will be tuning into some of your music later i was not joking about that
0: okay thank you have a good day
1: (laughs) bye